Coming to you live from the basement of an abandoned house in the middle of a field, it's the Derek Izzy Show. Making history his story, Derek Izzy. You're listening to the Derek Izzy Show. Welcome back for another month of this great podcast. Just go to DerekIzzy.com. Click on the Derek Izzy Show swag link. Use promo code Izzy10IZZI10 and take 10% off of your order of Derek Izzy Show swag. Get yourself a pillow. I love the pillows. Pillows are so cool. Born on June 28th, 1964. The topic of today's podcast was one of five children. From what we can tell, his biological father died. When he was very young, he had a twin sister who died when they were 18 months old. As a very young child, he was sent away to live with his aunt in Holcomb, Missouri. After a few years of living with this aunt, his mother took him back. He started drinking alcohol around seven or eight years old and also began an inappropriate relationship with an adult man. Around 10 years old, he started smoking marijuana. Between the alcohol, marijuana, and inappropriate relationships with adult men, you can imagine where the topic of our podcast's life was headed. By the age of 10, he would drop out of school. With no real father figure in this child's life, except for the one who was molesting him, he was lost as a child. There's evidence that his biological father, a used car salesman, would tell this child a phrase that stuck with him through his life, and that was a phrase that dead men tell no tales. Perhaps you've heard that used in a movie before. At the age of 13, this child was living with his grandmother, and at 13 years old, he would take his clothes off and get in bed with his grandmother, completely naked. It's alleged that he tried to rape his own mother around that age. Between his unstable upbringing, his sexual deviances, it was clear that this child was uncontrollable. At the age of 14, he would take off on his own. What can a 14-year-old do for money? Well, he can steal it. And this would begin his life of crime. At the age of 14, he would confront a woman, pistol-whipping her, knocking her out cold, and leaving her there, taking all the money she had. Within two years of this crime, the topic of our podcast would break into a house, allegedly commit a sexual crime, and then murder the occupants of that house. 
At the age of 16, the topic of our podcast would break into a house claiming that the man of the house was performing oral sex on a young boy. And the topic of our podcast was there to defend him. And he did so by killing the man of the house. At the age of 16, he was now officially a murderer. Life on the streets as a transient would not go well for the topic of our podcast. He needed income from somewhere, but he had no skills. In 1984, he was arrested for car theft. He was convicted and sentenced to two years in prison. With no work experience, he was set up to reoffend and violate his probation. This transient would travel from state to state, trying to get money, suffering from the personal demons he carried with him from his childhood. He would hop on a train, traveling through Arkansas, heading to St. Louis, Missouri. His crime spree would eventually become legendary. This was a crime spree that the topic of our podcast would brag about. He was proud of his accomplishments. In fact, he embellished and exaggerated a lot. It was in Missouri where he started working at a county fair. He would meet a mother and her son. He told the police that she invited him back to her home and she started to go through his backpack. Not being one to stand for having his privacy violated, he bludgeoned her to death. She had a four-year-old son who was a potential witness to this crime. And while dead men tell no tales, dead children tell no tales as well. The topic of our podcast murdered the four-year-old. He would continue traveling, fleeing from the law, getting drunk and crashing his car. The topic of our podcast would be arrested again. Shortly after his release, he would shoot someone claiming self-defense. Gunshot wounds, slit throats. The killing methods of the topic of our podcast were being honed in and perfected. He would take up residence with a 20-year-old named Stephanie Stroh. Stephanie was never to be seen again. He would tell the cops that he drugged her with LSD and strangled her to death. Weighing her body down with concrete, he would dump her in a hot spring. As he headed east, he would continue up to the state of New York where he would murder a 27-year-old woman. He would then head south and proceed west going through Illinois, continuing his murder spree. A man would see him walking and stopped to offer him a ride. The man took him in and fed him dinner. It's alleged that the topic of our podcast, after eating a nice meal with this good Samaritan, that the topic of our podcast would shoot him. The man had a three-year-old son. He would kill the three-year-old beating him with a hammer. The wife of the house, the three-year-old's mom, who also happened to be pregnant, she would witness the entire ordeal. The stress of this attack would cause her to go into labor. Grabbing a nearby baseball bat, the topic of our podcast 
would bludgeon her to death. This murder would be unsolved for a long period of time. And so were many of the other murderers that the topic of our podcast committed as he was traveling across the United States. But the police would investigate. From all accounts, he seemed like a normal person to the outsiders. Sergeant Terry Ward of the Pulaski County Sheriff's Department in Little Rock, Arkansas, would say of him, He wasn't some strange, far-out type person. He was just a normal person who loved to kill. If you made him mad, he'd kill. During the course of the investigation, authorities uncovered a lot of information. Some of it showed he was a sexual predator. He didn't really seem to have any pattern or motivation for his killings other than potentially anger. This would baffle the authorities. Generally, serial killers tend to follow some type of pattern. You know, they have a victim. Maybe maybe they're killing prostitutes or maybe they commit their kills within a three-mile radius of where they live. Maybe there's a specific type of victim that they need to kill. There didn't seem to be any type of profile that this serial killer would fit. One of the murders took place in Rollins, Wyoming. I bring that one up because I've been there several times. There actually used to be a small but really fun racquetball tournament at the Rollins Rec Center. Great group of people down there. Lots of fun. Always sponsored by Pepsi. So the topic of our podcast came across a young couple. They needed some tires for their truck. And the topic of our podcast would intervene by stealing a truck, removing the tires, and then selling them to this couple. He would be arrested shortly after that for public intoxication. Some of the details of his murders that the police were totally oblivious to were very gruesome. It's alleged that he would hold a sign that said, Hungry, will work for food. And then when someone would take him home, he would murder them. In 1997, he would join a carnival. It said that he operated the Ferris wheel. And he would actually drive the truck that brought the Ferris wheel from town to town with the carnival. When the carnival would stop, he would search for victims. One of these victims would follow him on the carnival trail and she would actually convince him to leave the carnival. She was a mother of four children, and he would actually marry her. He would continue to go on road trips and lie to her about having to do business out of town when he was up to his murderous rampages. He would break into a trailer home of a 32-year-old woman near the Memphis area, where he would rape and stab her to death. The witness to this crime was her eight-year-old daughter, so he had to stab her to death, too. It seemed like trailer parks were a good place for the topic of our podcast to get money. During the most recent one of these trips to the trailer park, the topic of our podcast would be in the bedroom of a 14-year-old boy who happened to be blind. The boy woke up thinking that this intruder was just one of his siblings who was playing a prank on him and he yelled at them to stop coming into his room. The topic of our podcast would move on to the next room, 
where there was a seven-year-old sleeping peacefully. In the master bedroom, he would find a mother and her 12-year-old daughter. In the fourth bedroom, he would find a 13-year-old. He would get into bed with her, which obviously woke her up, and she questioned him. What was he doing there? Who was he? But he had a knife. He put his hand over her mouth and told her not to move. She was startled. She was able to get free and she stood up and yelled for help. What the topic of our podcast didn't realize was that there was another girl, a 10-year-old, who was also in the room at the time. The 13-year-old got up and the man put the knife to her throat, slicing her throat. She fell to the floor gagging and choking on blood. She couldn't breathe. She pretended to be dead. This seemed to satisfy the topic of our podcast. He would leave the room. Then he would leave the house. As soon as our 13-year-old realized that the topic of our podcast was gone from the house, realizing that everybody else in the house was incapacitated, she would flee to a neighbor An old man would be sitting there watching TV when this bloody 13-year-old would show up on his porch banging on his door. She couldn't speak. She was covered in blood, but this man had to help her. She was rushed to the hospital, but she remembered a lot about this bedroom intruder. The sketch would turn out to be very helpful. One of the reasons why police had such a difficult time tracking down the topic of our podcast is because how he did business. You know, most people these days, they use credit cards. They have cell phones. This guy didn't use any of those things. He took trains and he murdered people in trailer parks. And most of his victims were unsuspecting and he displayed no patterns in his killing. Over a period of around 20 years, the topic of our podcast managed to kill undetected. Some of his confirmed kills, December 1988, Tucson, Arizona, then into January of 1988 into Salt Lake City, continuing in 1988 through Illinois, Massachusetts, 1989 into California, April of 1989 in Oregon, where he killed several people in a two-month period in a town called Roseburg, in December of 1991 in Mariana, Florida, he would kill two people, a mother and a daughter, Charleston, West Virginia, 1992, Lawrenceville, Illinois, October of 1997, Springfield, Missouri, October 1997. October 1998, Del Rio, Texas. March 30th, 1999, Del Rio, Texas again. April 1999, San Antonio, Texas. May 1999, Lexington, Kentucky. Kingfisher, Oklahoma, July of 1999. And then December 31st, 1999, Del Rio, Texas. After interviewing the surviving victim, asking many questions about the topic of our podcast, 
She actually remembered his name. She thought it was Tom or Tommy. They decided to bring in a photo array. One of the men in the photo array was a used car salesman in Del Rio, Texas. And that is who the girl identified as the killer. Police would arrive at his trailer and arrest him on a suspected murder charge. He didn't ask any questions about why he was being arrested. He didn't resist arrest, he went peacefully. Several days after being arrested, he started confessing. And boy, did he confess. Because the story would not end here. The topic of our podcast would begin gaming the system. Confessing to all kinds of murders. Bodies started being discovered. Some of these confessions were true. Authorities began to question some of these confessions. There were approximately 22 that they were able to verify. With evidence, the body being located, they were sure that he was responsible for at least 22 different murders. But he would go on to confess to more than 70 murders. During the trial, he would not testify, but he did appear in a videotaped walkthrough of the crime scene that was actually played. He walked through the house where he murdered the family and the 13-year-old girl survived. In less than an hour of deliberation, a jury convicted him. The punishment would be execution. The topic of our podcast would then enter death row in Texas. Police began the daunting task of contacting family members of the victims that they could confirm were murdered by the topic of our podcast. A lot of these families had no answers. They just knew that their loved one had been missing for years. In some cases, the loved one had been murdered and the family knew this, but they had no idea who did it because there were no suspects. And now they knew. Now the closure and the healing can begin. And on April 3rd, 2014, when asked if he wanted to make a final statement, the topic of our podcast responded with a no. One relative of one of the victims says, I wanted to see him die. That's honest. I wanted to know that he could no longer hurt anybody. Another one said, whatever went through his veins, he went too quick for my satisfaction. Another one said, we have suffered so many years, it's payback time. The lethal dose of pentobarbital would take approximately 13 minutes to take the life of Tommy Lynn Sells, a serial killer who we know was responsible for at least 22 victims, confessing to over 70, committing his kills with brutality and anger in no specific pattern, But in his being put to death, there are many unsolved murders that will be left behind as he goes to his grave, leaving authorities unsure of how many murders he actually committed and which unsolved murders they can attribute to him. Could it be 30 or 40? Between the drugs and alcohol, Tommy certainly didn't know. But with the 22 confirmed, 
we have at least some closure. And now you know the rest of the story. Join us next month for another episode of The Derek Izzy Show. Use promo code IZZI10 and take 10% off your Derek Izzy Show swag order on DerekIzzy.com or just click in the show notes and that will take you to the website. Once again, thank you for listening. Good day.